Hello, welcome to the first episode of 88 Digital's podcast series. This is a project of the Asian uh, Theological Association. And in this series, we will be looking at contributors, authors, scholars, and practitioners who are contributing to Asian theology and the Asian church as a whole. Our hope is that through these podcasts, we will not only look at contents of books, but look at questions of how these theological conversations matter to everyday lived realities of the church. Uh, we also hope to bring in authors and contributors to theology and talk to them and ask them questions about what drives them to research and write about the things that they write about. Today, we will begin the series by looking at Asian Christian theology, evangelical perspectives. This is a book uh, published in 2019 by Langham Publications. And today, to begin this conversation, we have with us the general editor, Dr. Timothy Henner, and associate editor, Dr. Stephen Pardew. Dr. Henner is the president and a professor at the Asian uh, Theological Seminary in Manila. He has a PhD from Fuller Theological Seminary. Dr. Stephen Pardew is a professor of theology at IGSL, International Graduate School of Leadership, and AGST, the Asian Graduate School of Theology, and his PhD is from Wheaton College. It is my pleasure to have them on board today to start this conversation, and I look forward to you all joining with us as we talk about things, discuss things, and try to learn together. I would like to welcome both our guests today, and as we begin, I want to read uh, an excerpt from a uh, review for this book from John Cheung, in, uh, who's from the Asian Center for, Asia Center for Mission, and this uh, review was published in Insights Journal. The review says, ACT offers theological uh, educators in Asia an understanding of Christian identity and life that is faithful to Christ, yet also richly contextualized. So key terms over there, faithful to Christ, uh, the Christian identity uh, as lived, and also richly contextualized. So these will be some key themes that we'll be looking at. To start us off, um, I actually want uh, us to get to know our uh, two guests. So maybe beginning with uh, Dr. Henner, could you tell us a bit about your broader field of work, uh, your research, your teaching, and uh, what do you work on study on a daily basis? Uh, good day, um, Matthias, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you all. Um, I'm, I've been with the Asian Theological Seminary since 2002, and I've been a um, professor uh, teaching systematic theology as well as contextual uh, theology. And my interest has been early on uh, doing uh, local, uh, doing local theology in light of our issues, questions, concerns in the Asian setting, but particularly uh, the Philippines. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so I can see the connections with the book, uh, even in your daily work, the desire to do local theology. Uh, Dr. Pardew, so you are uh, American, and yet uh, you are an editor of Asian Christian uh, Theology. So maybe give us a bit of background of how you got to this and what sure. do you do on a daily basis that made you want to be part of this project? Yeah, so it's a great question. How did this happen? <laughs> how did I end up here? So um, it starts with my family moved to the Philippines when I was two months old. And so since I could remember, this is my home. 
I grew up in the southern Philippines, and uh, that's also the context in which I was saved and discipled uh, in the Filipino church, and had the privilege of uh, growing up in this kind of uh, growing and vibrant phase of the evangelical church in the Philippines uh, in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Uh, that was the context where I learned to follow Jesus. Um, as I got older, uh, I, you know, I did studies in the U.S., then came back here, and um, always on my mind was the question of how do we, um, in our current place and time and our context and our culture, um, worship God well uh, and follow Jesus well? And so that automatically pushes you into the questions uh, that the book tries to press into. Um, uh, what does it mean to follow Jesus, not just in general, but here in this continent, in this region? Um, and I wasn't the only one asking that question, of course. Uh, I, uh, you know, uh, started quickly trying to soak up every resource I could that really brought those questions together of how to do theology well, but how to do it well in Asia and uh, even uh, for the Asian church and with the Asian church. Um, and that uh, brought me to uh, actually a lot of what Tim had already written. And um, so uh, we ended up, but, but the problem was there wasn't much out there in terms of uh, textbook, you know, full book length resources. There were a lot of pieces here and there. And as I came back and started teaching in an Asian seminary and really confronting this question every day with my students, um, I was longing for a resource that would really meet their needs. So uh, that's where Tim and I started having coffee, uh, I don't know, once a month or now and then, and, you know, really pressing, kind of sketching out the vision for the book um, as a resource that we could use in the classroom uh, uh, and that others could use as well. Thank you. Uh, so that is interesting because uh, both of you are studying and seeking to do theology for Asia and uh, on a very lived level. And both of you have very diverse experiences. Uh, Dr. Hiner with his PhD from Fuller and Dr. Pardu, what, you were two months old when you came to the Philippines? So basically, you look American and lived in the U.S., but you're also quite Filipino in that way. Yeah, I confirm that. I confirm that. Yeah, so that is interesting, Like because even the fact uh, that with your mixed uh, experiences, uh, even the question of what it means to do theology in Asia is becomes uh, a little more interesting, and what does it mean to be Asian today? Because even for me, as an Asian, I am uh, doing my PhD from... Uh, uh, Asbury Theological Seminary in the U.S., but right now I'm doing my fieldwork in India while being a PhD student uh, there. So these are interesting questions. So uh, Dr. Pardu also mentioned a bit about you getting together to talk about this and the fact that he could not find resources out there at this uh, which address these questions. So maybe let's get into a bit about some key questions or thoughts you had when you got together. What were some gaps that you were seeing and that you were trying to address through this book? Well, I mentioned at the, at the start that uh, one of the concerns I have in teaching contextual theology uh, is, 
you know, this heart of really uh, helping the, not just the seminary, but the church in the process. Mm -hmm. And um, when Steve mentioned, we actually met at uh, one of the coffee shops uh, here in Quezon City at the very start. And he um, shared with me uh, that need. And I resonated really with that uh, with that concern that we lack the resources from within our own Asian setting. Mm. Um, there's a lot of talk about methodology, you know, um, yeah, how to do Asian theology, but, you know, actually practicing it in having um, mm. a resource that does theology from the Asian perspective, um, that's what I felt was really lacking. And, you know, talking things out about uh, that need, um, we were burdened mm -hmm. to really proceed with the, with the book. So, um, yeah, we felt it's really high time to, you know, assist the church in this area. Mm -hmm. where, you know, doing theology ourselves should not be dependent uh, from the West, but instead, you know, ourselves doing theology in light of our issues and concerns in our setting, but from an evangelical, uh, biblical uh, perspective. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting uh, because uh, two key things that I picked up on over there, uh, doing theology for the church mm -hmm. and fact that we talk a lot about methodology for doing theology but yeah. we don't actually get to uh, doing the theology mm -hmm. uh, this reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend uh, while I was at IGSL in the Philippines he said a lot of people know a lot about philosophy he was a philosophy guy but they yeah. do not do philosophy <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> and he said, thereby, they are not philosophers, but they're just people who know about philosophy. Uh, That's right. That's right. So when we uh, say this, uh, it makes me think, who is this book meant for primarily? Because uh, uh, mostly when we write books, it's read in academia. And uh, to be honest, uh, working in Asia, local pastors don't read uh, academic books on a daily basis. So who, That's true. Yeah, so when we say it's for the church, how does it connect? Who reads this book? Well, um, going back to the um, focus that it's to assist the church mm. in sort of uh, theologizing in light of our own uh, setting, um, that when we look at uh, the end goal, of uh, the practice of theology, it really is to assist the, the discipleship and the mission of the church in our own uh, local settings. Mm -hmm. So um, it was written for um, the seminary level. And, um, you know, we're looking at pastors and workers who are able to access, you know, we. You know, from our end, we're hoping that it's accessible enough that thinking pastors and lay leaders mm -hmm. could be assisted in terms of really what theology is about. Mm. 
and theologizing in light of our own setting. So we were targeting this as more of a yeah a textbook mm-hmm. for uh, for seminary students and even Bible college students, and we're hoping that through it, when we say mission and discipleship, that it will be really biblical mm-hmm. and at the same time uh, rooted in light of our own engagement with uh, the Asian settings. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, I want to come back to that later about the connection between academia and local churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But at this point, uh, what you mentioned about methodology, that is interesting to me uh, because just to pull a few quotes from the book, uh, uh, some theological presuppositions uh, that I noticed uh, one quote was, every essay in this volume is committed to the notion that scripture is the norming norm for theology. The very word of God spoken to and for the church. It is not merely a source of theology to be tamed and formed to fit the conveniences of the moment. It is the source against which all other sources must ultimately be measured. So, Let's start with that theological perspective which drives this book uh, uh, when we talk about uh, how students will be using this because ultimately this is a textbook but what is your hope when a student reads this book and looks at this uh, right in the introduction? What is your hope when uh, they do theology using this? Go ahead, Steve. (laughs) <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take a step. So, uh, I mean, part of this is understanding the context in which this book kind mm-hmm. of fits. So if you look at the history of uh, the development of theology in Asia or in the majority world generally, um, starting in the 70s uh, and even the 60s, um, two groups really jumped in and really tried to do uh, hard contextual work to generate uh, constructive Christian theology that would really uh, suit the needs of the majority world church. So the the Roman Catholic Church started with, after Vatican II, there was a real push to acknowledge that theology needed to engage local culture, and especially in the majority world church, where the church was growing, they developed these kind of local contextual approaches. in the Protestant mainline uh, environment, uh, sort of uh, uh, that that they also kind of took off in the '70s. Really recognized um, that this was uh, an essential need for the growing majority world church. Evangelicals have been a, a bit more uh, nervous uh, about jumping into that process because, um, precisely because of what we're describing here. There is a high value of scripture as the norming norm above all other sources. So that means that um, whether uh, whether or not you're in uh, Canada or uh, Brazil or the Philippines, uh, that that will always remain the same. Now, because of that, there was often a misconception, I would say, that culture doesn't matter or that culture shouldn't matter. Um, and uh, instead, we're just doing biblical theology all the way through. Um, now, 
thankfully, that has started to change. Evangelical theologians now largely recognize that your culture and your context will Im impact the way you read the Bible, and therefore the way you construct your theology. And that this isn't always something bad, but often can be something good. It can uh, allow us to gain new insight into the richness of the gospel, to recognize um, things in the Bible that maybe other cultures missed. Um, so uh, what this book is trying to do is say, we don't have to choose between being biblical and being culturally engaged. Um, we, can, uh, we can keep the Bible as the norming norm above all, uh, and thereby ensure that theology is not sort of taken over by cultural idolatry, hopefully. But uh, we can also acknowledge that culture matters, and it shapes the way we think and speak of God as it should. Um, and so then the question is, how do we do that faithfully? How do we guide students to do that faithfully? How do we give tools for pastors to do that faithfully um, as they are kind of the, the laboratories of real contextual theology, trying to figure out how do we bring the gospel to bear in this place in this time? So that's a long answer. <laughs> Tim, why don't you, why don't great you answer, uh, great answer. clean it up? I don't know. <laughs> Well, that's that's the evangelical difference, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, that uh, really the Bible is our final authority for faith and and life, and I guess for the kind of um, uh, focus that uh, recent uh, thinking on Asian theologies uh, we have seen as. He was mentioning too, uh, Roman Catholic and mainline uh, authors, and and um, even churches have been probing on what it means to do Asian theology. But uh, in the previous um, generation, especially in their seventies and eighties, the focus was um, also on experts. You know, mm -hmm. theological experts. You know, you name a specific theologian. And, you know, Oyama and C.S. Song and others, and this, this is Asian theology or Asian theologies. Mm. Um, but uh, on the other hand, the other side in terms of really assisting the church in its mission, where, you know, every believer is a theologian, mm. you know, every disciple of Christ is a theologian. Uh, to me, at least, you know, uh, that's one of the impetus, you know, in terms of pushing this forward, is to bring this to a level of, you know, where every believer and every Christian can theologize based on uh, the Word of God as well as listening to their respective cultures. But that's the evangelical difference, really, that uh, we wanted to to highlight. Uh, the, the authority of the Scriptures, which is primary, and the rest is secondary and ministerial in light of that. Uh... Mm. <clears throat> uh -huh. And can I add, I'll add one more yeah, addendum, yeah, yeah. addendum to that. And so the way that we laid that out, you might get the misimpression that this is an effort to imitate uh, the Roman Catholics and mainline Protestants, right? Like to try to just sort of uh, blend mm -hmm. into the party. Um, and that's not, that's, that's actually precisely wrong. In fact, 
for evangelicals, there are biblical reasons to engage culture because God first engages mm. culture, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when he seeks to speak to Abram, he doesn't use a new language that he makes up. He uses Abram's language. Um, when uh, he tries to you know, create um, a, a tabernacle and then later a temple that will allow uh, a, a visual experience of dwelling with God, he doesn't invent things out of whole cloth. He actually uses materials uh, drawn from the local community and the culture. It doesn't drop out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in the incarnation, uh, maybe most of all, God comes and speaks with a very local accent. He doesn't uh, come as a superhuman. He comes as a you know, a Palestinian man from a certain tribe and family living in a certain place, speaking with a certain accent. And in all of that, the the transcultural uh, revelation of God is communicated through a local culture. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in the end, Revelation 7 has this vision of the church right. redeemed from every culture, tribe and tongue. And it, it highlights it. It's not, it doesn't try to hide it or blend it away. Um, so anyway, all that to say there are biblical reasons to do this type of theology uh, and that's really important to understand, you know, this isn't just an effort to keep up mm. with the times yeah. or anything like that. It's actually to be faithful to what we as evangelicals have always said, that the Bible needs to direct our speech and worship of God. Mm-hmm. So even the impetus for this uh, project, uh, Asian Christian theology, evangelical perspectives, comes from the norming norm, which is... Uh, the biblical text. Uh, uh, and mm-hmm. in some ways, I'm just trying to rehash what you've said and see if I understand this correctly. Yeah. In some ways, this yeah. is also <clears throat> maybe in the life of the evangelical church, our understanding of what it ought to be. Like when you mentioned in the 60s yes. and 70s, uh, there was a trend, but the evangelical church kind of stayed away from that because we were worried what do we do with the fact that we want scripture to be the highest and uh, and yet mm-hmm. we want to contextualize. So this is a process that the evangelical church is engaged in within itself. So uh, am I right mm-hmm. in understanding it that way? Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's that's right. Uh, and, you know, it's great that over time there's been a recognition that culture is not mm-hmm. our enemy, uh, though it is fallen like every other aspect of creation. Um, it is a crucial tool to engage rather than um, you know, something that you're trying to uh, boil away or, you know, strip down so that you have the non-cultural sort of theological truth out there. Well, it turns out that there right. isn't any such thing, right? There's no way to say anything about God without using language and culture. And that's okay. God himself did that first. And so we follow in his steps. I guess... Uh... We would like to add to that <clears throat> the very name evangelical, mm. you know, to which we associate ourselves with, is really at the very heart a focus on the gospel, right? The good news. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even in the scriptures, we have four gospels on Jesus, mm-hmm. isn't it? And, and the call to uh, embody the mission of God in Christ, you know, we were in John twenty twenty one, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. 
uh, that kind of embodiment and, and mission is what uh, theology assists the church uh, towards. But really, as Mark Laberton puts it, it's still a dream, isn't it? Mm. To be gospel-centered uh, is still a dream. And it's something that's, you know, all of us, uh, the different centers of Christianity, all contribute uh, to this uh, embodiment of the gospel in our time mm. and, and setting. So uh, at the very heart of this is the focus on the gospel, the good news, mm. the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, and we seek to embody that in, in our lives, in our setting mm -hmm. as uh, God's people. So uh, this and reminds so, me of uh, this phrase or idea of the church that I have encountered in Catherine Tanner's uh, work, where she describes the church as the community of argument. An argument can be problematic for some, <laughs> but I like to put that idea of the church as the community of argument with the idea that the church is the family of God or the people of God. So mm -hmm. when a family argues, we don't walk away from each other because even if you walk away, you're still family. So I'm trying to like mm -hmm. picture this book as uh, part of this argument that the family is engaged in. <laughs> And the, yeah. maybe these are some voices in that argument. And is it like an invitation uh, to the conversation for the students who read this, and maybe the churches that engage with this? Am I am I reading this right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great way to think about it. I mean, another way to to think about it is, um, you know, in Acts, uh, when there's this great challenge of the inclusion of the Gentiles, that is confusing and really raises all these new questions of what, what does it mean to follow Jesus and be a Gentile? Uh, that's a new mm -hmm. problem um, because the church has entered this new place and uh, they have to have some arguments. They have to really think it through and then the spirit directs and guides that process. Um, and uh, they, they come upon a way to unify and really, uh, they come away with new insights about who God is, what God is like, what the plan of salvation is. Um, and every time the church enters a new culture, there is a, or, or makes its home there, even if, especially if it's been gone for a while or has been dormant, right? Um, there is this process of renegotiating of, and, and also rediscovery, uh, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. It's great. Yeah. But it's hard. Like family arguments can be hard. Yeah. I think Asians will really agree, connect to that idea of family disputes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Dr. Henry, you um, made a key point there that ultimately the gospel is at the center, right? Uh, so I, I want to uh, pull out this quote again from the introduction about the methodology uh, of this book where it says the book, uh, the way this book is written or the approach taken is biblically rooted, historically aware, contextually engaged, and broadly evangelical. So you elaborate on that in the introduction, but maybe for our uh, uh, viewers at this time, maybe you can talk about, uh, and you can take turns on it or both speak on each of these terms, but connecting this to the gospel and like, what are we trying to do by following this methodology or approach to doing theology? Well, let me um, 
highlight that when we say broadly evangelical, um, we're Catholic in that sense that we seek to be really gospel-centered so that uh, as a renewal movement, evangelicalism seeks to renew churches to return to the scriptures and and really proclaim the gospel. And in light of that, you know, it's we're not oppositional, uh, as you would see even in the book. We're not oppositional in relation to other Christian traditions, uh, we, we Roman Catholic or Catholic as well as mainline uh, churches. We seek to center on the scriptures and the gospel. And it's not, you know, labeling one as, you know, uh, an enemy of uh, the gospel, but, you know, seeking to be unified in terms of renewing the church with um, the gospel at its, at its heart. I know there's a lot of debates, too, about what the gospel is about, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and um, uh, as I mentioned in my chapter, it's a narrative, right? It's a narrative of salvation that uh, begins uh, with creation down to the new creation. And often we just pick and choose. Uh, uh, the tendency is to say, you know, focus on, say, the writings of Paul, or you focus on the Gospels. But it really is the whole of, uh, as, as John Stott would say, uh, it's a Trinitarian uh, Gospel. Uh, beginning with God creating, but also, as we know the story, in light of human disobedience and God's sending His Son, and then the Holy Spirit being, uh, this, as, as uh, church, uh, church Father has put it, uh, the Son and the Spirit are two hands of the Father in renewing uh, creation. So this is the gospel and we should not be picking picking and choosing just which part of uh, the scriptures uh, it's the whole of the scriptures that tells of the gospel and you know at some in some areas like in africa a focus on say the old testament and the tribal uh, natures a tribal you know the different tribes mm-hmm. uh, resonate with their own experience in africa where the gospel could be embodied in that way so you know uh, in light of the whole of the scriptures, I would say, to be broadly evangelical is to be scriptural, but also really focusing at the heart of uh, what the scripture tells. So that's one. Uh, the other side, contextually engaged, uh, probably would be, to me, uh, in light of the evangelical nature uh, or perspective of this book, includes this double, as I was saying, double listening. You listen to the word but also to the world we live in. And to engage that world, the issues, the concerns, the needs uh, in light of biblical revelation mm-hmm. and uh, as well as the church's mission. So, uh, <clears throat> in some ways, the context of the setting would um, reveal different facets because of where we are located of the gospel. And uh, relatedly, it would also um, bring out different needs because our needs in different contexts are different and thereby we might experience the gospel or the good news. The good news may be good news to us in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
<clears throat> so uh, maybe expanding on the other uh, aspects of this methodology being biblically rooted, historically aware, and I think the contextually engaged connects with what you've said. Uh, uh, and when we said broadly evangelical, it's not about this tribe or this group, but it's more about the evangelical perspective where it's about the gospel at the center, but thereby we're also looking at Catholicity and being united. So it's not to establish our camp amongst other camps of doing theology. Mm -hmm. and this is our method and this is our way of doing it versus yours or theirs. But mm -hmm. uh, the broadly evangelical perspective is trying to find this way of bringing the uh, people of God, the family of God together in this conversation. Uh, mm -hmm. Did I get that correct? Uh, or would you like to add to that? Mm -hmm. Anything else? No, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's okay. well said. Uh, so uh, what about the other uh, two aspects of being biblically, biblically rooted and historically aware? Uh, especially, I, I want to look at the historically aware part, uh, because mm -hmm. uh, if we uh, say biblically rooted uh, and uh, we are focusing on the gospel and we have the Holy Spirit that uh, inspires us and reveals to us uh, the word of God and uh, uh, the gospel, what is the importance of, or why the focus on being historically aware? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Should I, uh -huh. I'll try ahead, to answer that one at first. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, uh, there can be kind of two instincts here that we are trying to resist in the book. So the first is a very common evangelical instinct that I heard at least a lot in the churches I grew up in, which is, um, there was a high distrust of tradition, uh, and basically the goal of whatever we were doing, whether it was how we organize our church service or whether we write a statement of faith or whatever, the way we wanted to do it was however the apostles would have done it. Uh, and the thing that wasn't often said, but it was implied, was everything from the apostles to us was kind of a mistake. <laughs> there, there were, you know, uh, and what we're trying to do is just get back to recover that pure time of kind of uh, more faithful discipleship to Jesus. And that comes from a good mm -hmm. instinct. Uh, there's a healthy evangelical instinct to say, look, whatever, uh, what matters to me is following Jesus. And uh, I'm not going to let anything else kind of stand in my way or distract me from that. I'm going to have a single-minded focus there. But the downside of it was, it was really a way of uh, failing to take advantage of all of the Christians before us who were also trying to mm. be faithful to Jesus and who uh, actually learned some helpful things and wrote them down and passed them on. Um, and so there's that instinct, uh, we can call it the primitivist instinct to kind of get back to the beginning. Um, and the reality is, even in the apostles' time, the church was flawed. <laughs> It was never perfect anyway. Um, the other instinct, and this has particularly to do with our context, is um, there can be a, a pendulum swing to say, look, the Western uh, generated resources that we have right now are really from such a different era, from a, such a different mm -hmm. culture, that they are really of no use to us. 
Um, and uh, what we need is to invent something totally fresh mm. and new and Filipino or Sri Lankan or uh, Malaysian, whatever. And um, the the challenge with that is actually similar to the other the other one, right? It's a it's a correct uh, mm. intuition that something new is needed. That's why the, that's why we developed this book, but. It's incorrect in as much as it diagnoses the problem as um, uh, as something that requires, you know, casting out the whole of what what went before. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to say in the introduction here is um, we're going to try to have an approach that is really engaged with Asian culture that really seeks to uh, allow the gospel to put roots down deep into local soil um, but that doesn't lose its awareness of what has gone mm-hmm. before because we think there's a lot to learn there. So we think especially in the great tradition, what I would call the great tradition, you know, solidified, especially in the Nicene Creed, the Statement of Chalcedon, mm-hmm. um, and the writings of the first five centuries of church fathers, but also including all the way through the, the medieval time and, and the Reformation era, um, we want to take all the treasure we can from uh, those who went before. So to extend the family analogy, to make it a little simpler, um, this is like saying, uh, look, uh, you know, most teenagers go through a phase where they think they don't need what their parents or grandparents <laughs> discovered or their great grandparents. Right. And they think, you know, they didn't know anything. I'm going to, you know, make my own way. And then usually we, we come to a point of maturity and we say, oh, you know, uh, my my parents, my grandparents, my ancestors knew more than yeah. I thought, and I'm going to try to benefit from that now rather than just abandon that advice. And so, this is a way of honoring our mm-hmm. parents um, in 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 theological mm-hmm. terms. And uh, you know, we don't have to follow them on every point. We acknowledge that church history is full of mistakes, but it's uh, just uh, it's impoverishing ourselves to reject that whole tradition uh, just because we want to do something new. So that's the idea. Mm. That's historically aware. Uh, I don't know, in my mind. Tim, I don't know, you want to add to that? Great answer, actually, uh, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right. uh, I'm getting... Yeah, but uh, this is an area where evangelicals uh, really has, you know, a lot of work to do. Um, in terms of being historically aware, isn't it? Uh, um, that uh, restorationist or primitivist, uh, uh, you know, leaning and, and you know, desire, uh, at the same time, um, from my end, I would just would like to add that uh, it's also a recognition that our rationality uh, is also tradition mm-hmm. in a way. I guess uh, Newbegin, uh, Leslie Newbegin mentions that in the Gospel and Pluralist Society. Uh, mindful that, uh, you know, there's the interpretation that's grounded, the normativity uh, of the scriptures, uh, you know, from the old to the new. We root ourselves in that tradition. Mm-hmm. But also as we, as we progress, uh, you know, the church branches into different traditions. Um, but in terms of our 
our rootedness as evangelicals who recognize uh, indeed the normativity of scripture, but also that our uh, our uh, perspectives come from within a specific uh, Christian tradition, which is evangelicalism. Um, but we bring that to the fore precisely as part of the as the, the family of God, mm. the global uh, body of Christ, and contributing to that fullness. I also, I guess it was also Nubigen who mentioned that if Jesus Christ is the fullness of truth, then, you know, we really owe to each other you know, uh, that we listen to each other mm. to arrive at such fullness, being the body of Christ in, in the world. Mm. So being historically aware is in some ways extending this conversation to listen to the past as well, acknowledging that we are part of the same conversation. So in some ways, when students read this book, and uh, not just students, other people uh, in the church read this book, uh, they are actually, or that's what you're hoping, they will be engaging in a conversation, not just with the theologians who write these chapters, but with the church Catholic across all our divides in the present and across mm -hmm. history, so across space and time, so to say. It's a conversation that we're in, trying to engage in. Uh, across space and time and uh, so in that way this book is if i may put it uh, a conversation starter mm -hmm. so it's the beginning of a conversation right so uh, with that it's a down payment on something yet okay to come. excellent yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah so excellent excellent <laughs> so we are hoping <laughs> that this uh book is not, uh, let's say, the uh, be it and end all of the conversation that this is Asian Christian theology, but this is what we say as Asian Christian theology and what do you say now? So join the conversation, right? That's right. Excellent. So this brings me to the way the book was structured because this was very interesting to me and uh, as a student of theology myself, I've not seen a book structured this way. So <laughs> I, I, I want to go a bit into the structure of the book because, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it would seem the first section is about traditional or historical doctrinal themes that we uh, approach uh, in the church, uh, the uh, doctrine of revelation uh, and uh, Starting from that and uh, the doctrine of scripture, all these conversations that we've had in theology and systematic theology. And the second section uh, uh, seems to have authors talking about very local issues uh, or are some very particular issues. Uh, uh, so I, I want to uh, get you to talk about uh, uh, why the structure, uh, what was the hope in putting the structure together? Uh, let's start with that, and then maybe uh, while you do that, uh, talk about the first section itself, uh, because there are lots of books on systematic theology, right? So even though we have a section on, like, say, the doctrine of scripture, revelation, all these conversations that have been had, do we contribute anything new in this, or is this a rehash of the same conversation, which leads to the actual conversation in the second part? Hmm. The... The way it's structured, actually, um, when we look at the traditional themes, uh, 
systematic theology. Um, you wanted the authors and, and, and these chapters to really be attentive to or attuned to the setting, the Asian setting, when uh, we talk about this uh, theological themes or specific uh, doctrinal themes that were addressed in part one. But it's also crucial, at least for me, that uh, when you talk about revelation, that becomes the grounding for practicing contextual theology. And it's not, you know, uh, from outside our scripture that we deal with the practice itself, but, you know, within scripture and within uh, this doctrinal standpoints that we root the practice of, of theology. Mm. So um, in that way, it contributes um, to, number one, that when we discuss these theological themes uh, as uh, the, the four things we mentioned, it's contextually engaged, you know, even at the way uh, we present these uh, doctrinal themes. But the other half, to me, are like case studies, mm. you know, which to me, when you practice theology, it's both a product and a process. Um, a product in the sense that, okay, upon our reflection on the scripture as uh, Asian churches, then these doctrines uh, really do make sense mm. in light of our own experiences. But the other half is the process, the continuing process of um, uh, theological reflection on specific uh, practices and uh, cases where we find, uh, you know, we have to be biblically engaging our situation toward holistic mission. So as case studies, it's, it's more of saying theology is not just a product in terms of doctrines, mm -hmm. but also a process where you do theological reflection in light of your setting as uh, Asian Christians, like issues of poverty, suffering, uh, plurality of religions, you know, cultural identities and diversity. So uh, in light of that, how do we do theology? So it's both this combination of uh, the doctrinal themes and the actual mm. practices that we seek to theology, uh, to theologize as Asian Christians. At least that's where I'm coming from mm -hmm. in light of uh, what we pursued uh, in terms of structure. Yeah. So, um, if I may uh, think about it with you, uh, this is in some ways also about the broader book structure is about the theological method and maybe the purpose of theology mm -hmm. itself. Because mm -hmm. theology is about doctrines. We don't want to remove mm -hmm. that completely. It is about uh, key tenets of our faith. We don't mm -hmm. want to remove that from the equation. Mm -hmm. But theology mm -hmm. is also this practice or these everyday mm -hmm. conversations we're having. Am I right mm -hmm. in understanding it that mm -hmm. way? That's, that's right. Okay. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Pardo, you were about to add something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just to kind of make the observation that the structure of systematic theology or of just theology, we can take that scary systematic <laughs> word out of it, um, is 
is often, uh, you know, the way we're doing it today has been shaped by hundreds of years of Christian practice. So it's in light of what I said earlier about not throwing out uh, mm. everything our forefathers did just because it's old. Um, you know, there's a reason that it came to be organized mm. that way. Um, some of those reasons might not be, uh, you know, in, in full force today in the Asian context, but certainly any Christian anywhere, uh, if you want to think carefully about your faith, you're going to have to answer some questions about who is Jesus uh, and, and what is the what is this divine human thing going mm -hmm. on, right? So you're going to have to engage Christology. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to engage, uh, you know, where does everything around me come from? The doctrine of creation. Um, you know, where are things going? What's going to happen in the end? The doctrine of eschatology. So there are some sort of natural ways in which uh, wherever you go, I think in any culture, um, careful reflection on the Christian faith will lead you in these directions. And, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, what we said was, okay, but uh, there are special ways in which mm -hmm. in each of those questions, in each of those areas, uh, the Asian context brings up uh, kind of, per, uh, kind of ref, uh, refracts those mm -hmm. questions with new angles. You see it with new light um, and uh, raises new questions and also offers different answers um, because we see things here in Asia in the scriptures that our counterparts in Africa or the U.S. don't mm -hmm. see. Um, but then at the same time, theology also has this, you know, if you think of Paul as the first Christian theologian, maybe, right? People say that. Um, well, his theology was very mm -hmm. occasional. It was reflection on this big thing, the Christian faith, but um, brought about by, you know, a problem in the Corinthian church or the issue of the inclusion of the Gentiles. Um, and so I think we have good reasons to kind of think of theology through mm -hmm. both of those lenses. Um, and also, over time, we I could see that uh, the canon of kind of accepted doctrines, the first part of the book, might shift a bit um, as the church increasingly is composed of people in a different uh, cultural mm -hmm. setting than it has been for the last several hundred sure. years. So we want to make sure to keep our eye on that and see how those those things evolve. But wherever you go, there will always be kind of these uh, common spaces and then these distinctive uh, questions that any given region or country or culture raises. Um, and so we want to give students the tools to do both of those things well. Okay, uh, so um, you mentioned something very interesting there. Uh, it ref uh, like from an Asian perspective, the questions and answers are refracted in a way and which, uh, let's mm -hmm. say, uh, a theologian in Europe would not see or one in the U.S. would not see. Mm -hmm. But to flip that around, mm -hmm. uh, there would be uh, aspects uh, that they would have seen in history or in the present also. So even though the book is called Asian Christian Theology, it's uh, a part of a global conversation. A am I right to say that? Yes, mm -hmm. for sure. So yeah. having said that, uh, um, I'm just thinking this book uh, could be part of re a reading uh, list or books to be read, not just for Asian students in Asian seminaries and Asian colleges, but perhaps part of a global conversation. Because I'm just thinking, like, uh, when you said uh, theology is occasional, 
that would apply to even Western theology or let's say uh, the scary word systematic theology <laughs> it would apply to that also, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I remember, you know, it was an American professor here at uh, ATS who actually uh, made us realize uh, in his reading of uh, Erickson's uh, Christian theology uh, that, you know, not much has been written on poverty and, you know, the spirit world as well as social justice. And that um, book on systematic theology to me is quite, you know, useful and I, you know, I go back to that as a, really a reference work as well in systematics. But at the same time, having written to a, particularly for an American audience, you see its limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way, you know, when we bring to the table um, the contributions of the Asian churches, uh, then we envision a church of many centers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Asian, the African, the Latin American, and we all contribute to this uh, feast, this uh, table fellowship of the Lord, where uh, you know we can enrich uh, mm. the body of Christ, and you know the fullness of truth in Christ is something that uh, we all seek for uh, the body of Christ to fully, uh, you know, embody mm. the life of its Lord. So in that way, I I I would say. There's that continuing, what animates this also is this vision of a, mm. what uh, I think it was from an Indian scholar who said the basis of contextual theology is really pneumatological ecclesiology. Mm. Um, it's, it's the church as polycentric uh, with different centers mm. guided by the spirit uh, to which we all contribute um, as, as a body of Christ in the world mm. I like that image of a feast because I'm thinking of uh, um, at IGSL when I was there in the Philippines and even um, in my time at Asbury we sometimes have these international uh, uh, buffets when like we have all this food in front of us and different students and uh, community members have cooked food and uh, I, I mean living in the US uh, I would for the Indian food too, obviously, because I want to have some samosas which I have not had for a long time and which are really expensive in the shop. But I would try and have something I've never had before. I want to go and taste that food too. So that has been an opportunity uh, uh, to taste different foods and develop different tastes and appreciate, hey, this tastes awesome. (laughs) So for me, Mexican food has been that awesome that I found in the US. Like, I I love like uh, street street style tacos. So maybe <laughs> I'm thinking uh, this book is part of this uh, uh, buffet. So like you uh, mentioned Erickson's uh, book, uh, systematic uh, theology, uh, uh, and on systematic theology, and instead of like making this very um, specialized Asian Christian theology. Uh, perhaps we should broaden our idea of this book to see it as 
a uh, book in theology itself, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, a conversation for theology itself for the whole church, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I, I see a lot of potential for what this book can be uh, beyond just uh, the Asian church, although its focus remains there and it's part of a broader conversation in that. Uh, uh, but I want to point out some uh, critiques uh, or criticisms that I uh, read of in one of the reviews. I just want to point out one particular one and maybe ask you why <laughs> this happened or if you would disagree with this. Uh, so this uh, is from uh, the uh, Christian Education Journal. Uh, it talks about the narrative of the book omits an important reality behind the development of Christianity in Asia. And uh, he points out two, mainstream Christianity and Pentecostal slash charismatic Christianity. So would you say that these voices or these perspectives are underrepresented in the book? And were there some reasons for that at present? So, yeah, I guess I would have to clarify the the meaning of mainstream Christianity. Do they mean maybe non-evangelical Christianity, or I don't know yeah. from the without I, the context. I, I would assume, yeah, that's yeah. the uh, um, uh, that's what they mean by that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let me try. Let me try and answer there. So, I think to start, um, I think the the book actually, I think I was happy with the degree to which it was uh, engaged with. Pentecostal perspectives, you know, as you know, the Pentecostal church is the fastest growing part of the church uh, worldwide. That includes here in Asia. And uh, it's a place where uh, we see a lot of dynamic growth, both in terms of numbers, but also in terms of um, uh, theologians and leaders emerging from that tradition to help shape the, the next generation of Christian thought and resources. So actually, I mean, overall, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I can count at least off the top of my head, uh, you know, uh, p- probably a third of the authors would identify with mm-hmm. that tradition. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, I, I think I'm encouraged by that. Um, and, you know, we do our best in these things to make sure that we're representing the church in all of its beautiful diversity, but also <clears throat> there's a function of just who has the time who has the background, who, right, who can you get? Um, In terms of uh, uh, interaction with um, other parts of the church, I would say we really, I don't know, I'll I'll speak for myself at least. I think this is our perspective, but I would say, you know, we saw the contribution of this book as saying something from a point of view uh, that is rooted in evangelical, the evangelical tradition, um, but not by any means seeking to be exclusionary and saying, you know, our tradition is the only one that is worth mm. listening to. Um, so I think there's, uh, there's a healthy tension there. And it, uh, to, to go back to the issues of cultural identity, right, to say, uh, you know, distinctively that I am from this place and I belong to this culture or this tradition or this family Um, is not to say other families Mm -hmm. are bad, but it is to say, I know who I am and I'm going to try to do my job to uh, lead the church, serve the church well with the gifts and abilities that 
that God has given to my distinctive, you know, clan, family, tribe, etc. Um, and so I think that's the spirit in which we offer mm-hmm. the book. Um, and hopefully it's received in that spirit as well. Um, but I don't know. Tim, do you, would you add anything there? I agree with Steve. You know, uh, it's not um, definitely um, being sort of pioneering mm-hmm. uh, in a way. It has its limits. Right. And, you know, given the time and the availability of the authors, we try to be as much as um, inclusive in terms of the range of traditions within um, you know, the writers, the choice of the writers and the authors uh, coming from different... We know that evangelicalism uh, at least has, what, five or six different kinds. Mm. And one of that is, uh, one of those is Pentecostal uh, charismatic tradition and other traditions. There's the social justice type of evangelicals. There's also the more uh, progressive kind. So there are different kinds of evangelicalism and, uh, you know, we, we try to integrate even the diversity within our choice of authors. But, you know, uh, we can only do so much uh, uh, with respect to the available authors when we did, when we scouted for, you know, scholars and, and also pastors who can write about such uh, themes. But definitely, we hope that this contributes mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the Catholicity of the Church with respect to uh, theology and life, embodying uh, Christ in the world. Mm. So, in that way, like um, there are some just real logistical challenges mm-hmm. and realities of geography and time. Uh, but on the other hand, I, I would also think. Uh, the subtitle of the book being Asian Christian Theology Evangelical Perspectives is also helpful in that, that this is, uh, I, I like the word uh, in that perspective. So this is a perspective in the conversation uh, that mm-hmm. we're adding. Um, I want to uh, broaden the conversation a bit uh, to frame this book and uh, the broader theological conversation that we're engaged in as we approach the end of our uh, conversation here. I want to broaden this conversation about theological method and doing theology in Asia. Uh, And we've talked about some parts of it and addressed some parts of it within this book. But uh, in the beginning, I said I would like to come back to the connection of academia and the church. And in this book, uh, also, we talked about the structure of doctrines in the beginning from Asian perspectives and also the case studies and lived realities in the second uh, part of the book. So maybe uh, from uh, both your perspectives, I would uh, like to hear about how do we do theology in Asia and what does it mean to do theology in Asia in the present and not in some, uh, because uh, personally I've had issues with some work that has been very uh, focused on an Asia that I don't know as a uh, globalized Asian. It's it's become too exotic for uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Asians themselves. So as lived Asians who live in a globalized world, what, what do these things look like? Well, 
doing theology with Asian resources would be, you know, the the goal and the dream. You know, whenever you say Asian uh, theology, right? Um, but we know, coming from more biblical Christian perspective, that uh, when we say scripture is primary, then, you know, the resources of the culture are uh, secondary in light of um, the primacy of the scriptures. Mm. But still, you know, looking at um, the way it's done and how this goes about in actual practice, mm. um, to me, that the basic, uh, what, a sort of uh, conversation between... Uh, biblical faith and our experiences in light of our issues, questions, concerns, um, that continuing conversation and dialogue, uh, the story of God and our little stories, mm-hmm. when they meet, that's theologizing, mm-hmm. right? And that goes not just for us who teach theology, but, you know, every Christian uh, trying to really engage the world with the word again that uh, sort of conversation and and uh, and meeting of stories is what uh, the process of theology is is about mm. um that as to me uh even that uh, dimension that theology is correlational i don't know why um there's a sort of a what uh, antipathy, or even, you know, some are really against that, the very nature of theologizing as that conversation or meeting of stories. Mm. Um, but but that's really the classical way of looking at the process of what theology is, is about. When you make and utilize Asian resources, then from a Christian point of view and discerning uh, what can be in the service of God's people and God's mission. Mm. That's theologizing. You know. um, so I guess, to me, it all goes back to that very basic approach that uh, the meeting of stories, God's story and ours, mm. is what theology is about. And bringing your own resources, uh, you know, the contributions of every culture, mm. Uh, the glory and honor of the nations that will be brought to the Lamb, mm. Revelations 21. Um, to me, that's uh, really integral to the process of uh, theology, where, you know, even the reality of Pentecost, mm. where God speaks many languages, mm. right? Uh, that's theologizing, where you bring in your resources to the languages of your culture um, towards uh, fullness of Christ. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, to me, is the part of what uh, the process of theology is about. Hmm. Yeah, and I'll, I guess, uh, I, I think that's super well said, and I would just add a couple of thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is, I think Asian Christians need to, uh, we need to feel the freedom not to try to um, kind of meet some expectation of our Western or non-Asian counterparts Good point. Good about point. about being 
you know, like uh, there can be almost a pressure to try hard to kind of, uh, I think, exoticize or um, or even romanticize our indigenous cultures in ways that really don't make sense to us. And I just want to say, like, that 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 pressure needs mm. to go away. That that should not be here. Mm-hmm. Now, it's different to ask. Uh, I think it's good for all the church to ask that uh, wherever Christians are, that they really uh, seek to have a deep acquaintance between their faith and their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's different, though, from saying, you know, can you give us something that sounds really new or really different? Mm-hmm. Uh uh, so the the Western Academy is really set up around novelty. Uh, new ideas are much better than old ideas mm-hmm. or ones that are kind of just refined, and that's not always healthy. So um, I would say don't let that pressure you into a certain direction. Um, at the same time, if you do really want to, if you catch this vision for, as uh, Dr. Tim was saying, to the 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 wealth of the nations coming to Christ. Uh, and being devoted to the faith and uh, and helping us to uncover new depths of riches in the gospel, um, then I think one of the places that's going to start is all, almost always with local language. Mm-hmm. Language is, of course, the one of the core elements of every culture, wherever you are. And so, um, you know, Lamansana, this uh, African scholar, has really helpfully highlighted how Mm -hmm. wherever scripture gets translated uh almost always it leads to this kind of uh time of innovation and and rediscovery Mm -hmm. of the faith from the perspective of that local culture because that's just what happens when you translate scripture it's the word of god and uh has this power to transcend and and to uh highlight new truth wherever it gets translated so I, uh, I always encourage my students and I would encourage readers, um, you know, I know the practicality sometimes is you have to write in English, maybe for your papers mm-hmm. or whatever. That's, uh, you know, but uh, work as much as you can in, in, in your, uh, the language where you feel the most comfortable. And you will actually find that that often leads uh, sort of by necessity to a process of creativity and development that will end up being able to serve the wider church when that then gets translated back into a language that uh, that other communities can understand. So that's just sort of a practical suggestion there. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is I, I really think the future of Asian theology lies in um, the Asian church uh, interacting well with the greatest resources of the mm-hmm. past. Um, so that historically aware piece, uh, you know, that's mm-hmm. almost putting it too lightly. Mm-hmm. I would say um, if you get to know the great thinkers of the Christian family and then you just talk to them, become friends with them, uh, you will kind of have a, a conversation with them that will be different than what anyone else in the church can have. And the result will really be this interesting fruit of um, deep acquaintance with culture, but also deep acquaintance with the great tradition that we inherit as Christians. So, mm-hmm. so um, taking what you two said uh, together, uh, I'm thinking about the student who reads this book. Uh, it's engaging with uh, 
the stories that have been told in the past, the narrative of God and us told by people in the past, but engaging it from the present, from our perspectives, and adding our stories to the mix. So maybe mm-hmm. uh, I'm just thinking for students who read this and many of whom will become professional theologians, uh, uh, it's an invitation to tell stories of uh, God, mm-hmm. how he's acting in the world, and of people, how they're responding to God. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Um, and I hope uh, a lot, of, lot more students will be reading this book and engaging with the ideas. And, yeah, before we end, I just want to open it up further. What is there after this book? Because we have talked about this book as a conversation starter, right? And uh, maybe another telling of the story uh, and stories in the mix. What's the plan after this? What's ahead? What can we look forward to? Well, uh, at least from what we're planning, we have a a group of uh, theologians here, also local uh, professors, and uh, teachers of um, theology um, that we're planning to write something on the Lord's Prayer mm-hmm. in Philippine life and spirituality, for instance, as another another case study in terms of doing theology in context. So uh, that's not sort of related to the ATA project, mm-hmm. but uh, similar similarly to be published by Langham. Nice. Um, because we wanted to look at, in terms of a catechism, mm. um, the Lord's Prayer is quite rooted in the culture, uh, being, you know, Roman Catholic uh, or Catholic-dominated country uh, such as the Philippines. It has a long history mm. of, uh, you know, that people have already imbibed the Lord's Prayer as uh, part of their upbringing. So um, from our own setting and stories, then we're looking at engaging that prayer in light of the Philippine uh, setting. So that's one. Uh, I know there are other uh, publications forthcoming with ATA. So Steve, uh, probably you could mention some of those too. Sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the things we were excited to do when we saw that Asian Christian theology seemed to really meet a need like we were hoping it would, it was received well and sold out quickly and had to be, uh, you know, reprinted. And so we saw that uh, there was a need for more books like that. So, in fact, ATA started a series of books called Foundations in Asian Christian Thought. Uh, and that series is, uh, the, the next book will be out in the middle of 2022. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, it's Asian Christian ethics. Uh, so it will follow up with this book, uh, uh, in a similar way, kind of addressing major issues, uh, that come up in Christian moral life, uh, as followers of Jesus in Asia. And then uh, not far behind that will be a a similar book focused on the Old Testament, exploring the Old Testament in Asia, and then on the New Testament as well, which I'm really excited about. 
Um, we have lots of other books in the pipeline, but we're a small publication, so we have to we have to space our time out a bit. Um, the other thing ATA is really working on uh, in pursuing in a different direction, kind of following up on the vision of this book, is a series that invites Asian uh, scholars to make a book long argument rather than just a chapter mm, argument right. about some pressing issue in in the Christian Church uh, in, in Asia. So we have uh, plans for that. It's it'll be unrolled soon, um, and we hope the first volume will be out maybe late 2022 or early 2023. But there is really it's a it's an exciting time. There's a lot on the horizon mm-hmm. um, as more and more uh, Asian leaders really uh, are, are embracing the calling to write the next generation of resources and to develop the, the, um, the, the books and, and uh, other resources that are going to help the church flourish uh, into the next you know, few decades. So yeah excellent uh, yeah so th- there are a lot of exciting things coming up and I think it's um, an encouragement to many young scholars and students who will be reading these books that we need to tell our stories we need to write uh, so that the stories mm-hmm. are read by others and join in conversations with others who are telling stories so I think that's a huge encouragement to uh, all others uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Hener and Dr. Pardu. This has been great. Um, the first of more episodes to come. And uh, in the coming episode, we'll have Dr. Hener talking about his chapter in the book, uh, Divine Revelation and the Practice of Asian Theology. So we will be getting more into the nuts and bolts of his chapter. And this will be the format that we'll be following in this podcast where we'll be bringing in authors to talk about their chapters. And not just the uh, chapter itself, but where they're coming from, what are their perspectives, what are their hopes for what comes next. So again, as we started off with our first episode, this is an invitation to a conversation, and I hope that you all can join with us in this. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this video, please don't forget to hit the like button, subscribe to our channel, and follow us on our socials. The links are in the description below. We have new content every week, so don't forget to hit the bell for updates. See you in our next video.